Let's just open our time together in the Word of God in prayer and ask God to speak to us. Father, uh, unless you speak, unless your Spirit uh, illuminates our hearts and minds and applies the Word to us, um, it will just be uh, really a waste of time. Uh, Lord, we pray that much more than just the words said and indeed the words read from your Word, that your Spirit will enliven them and empower them to our hearts and minds. Speak to us, Lord, we pray, as we trust in you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Unshakable faith. Unshakable faith. Many, well, some countries in this world today are facing incredible persecution. And those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are faced with the awesome, horrific, knowledge that they could end up, them and their families, dying because of their faith. And yet they stand true to their faith. They are willing, don't want to, but are willing to even give their lives because they have an unshakable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in uncertain times. Uh, COVID. I mean, what's happened in the last two years? How many of our plans have been disrupted? We've been wanting to get to New Zealand to uh, do the memorial for our late daughter who passed um, almost a year ago now. And we just can't do it. We can't organise a time. It's just so uncertain. Um, Rebecca was all set. Our daughter, our other daughter was all set to leave here and go to Perth to live there the other day, and uh, the next day she was driving out, and then overnight, not allowed back in, not allowed into Western Australia. So she's now in limbo, waiting. Life is like that at the moment, isn't it? We live in uncertain times. In AD 46, around this time of AD 46, was when Peter wrote this letter to the Christians in northern Turkey, is the area that he was writing to, uh, northern Turkey today. And he was writing to the persecuted church, to Christians who would be killed or their families taken from them and, and slaughtered in front of them even, uh, as we know happens sometimes today. Uh, their livelihoods would be taken from them simply because they followed Jesus Christ. And if you were writing to those Christians today, if you sat down and wrote a letter to those people who you knew were going through that horrific suffering, what would you write? What would I write? Oh, we feel for you. We love you and we're praying for you is probably what I'd write. Peter writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, we've been born again to a living hope. I think that would have had more impact than we love you and we're praying for you. Amen? I can't hear you at home. Unshakable faith because of a certain hope that they had, an absolute hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When... I put my faith in Jesus Christ. It's not me holding on to his hand like a little child who wants to cross the road and the parent 
says no and doesn't put out their finger for the child to hold on but puts out the hand to hold on to the child's hand. Because if the little child was holding on to the finger, might decide to run ahead or, or stumble. But the father or the mother puts their hand out and holds the little child's hand and takes them across. The child puts their hand out in faith and the parent holds that hand till they're safe to the other side. That is the kind of faith that we have. It's not our faith that saves us. It's faith in our Lord Jesus that saves us. We put our hand up and he takes it. And the living, eternal hope that we have is because of an unshakable faith, not the faith itself, but faith in the Lord Jesus makes it unshakable. So our salvation is certain. And that's really what my message is about this morning. Um, eternal security, if you like. Our message is, our, our salvation is certain. First of all, God is the source of our salvation. In his great mercy, he has, in mercy, he has taken the initiative. He saw us in our sin and lost condition. He saw that because of his holiness and our sinfulness, we could never live with him in heaven. We would be eternally separated from God. And in mercy, he reached out to us. And we read in the first verse, first of all, the divine origin of our salvation, that to those who are elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that God in eternity past, chose you and I who have faith in the Lord Jesus today, chose us to belong to him. Now, I know that this is an issue that Christians are divided on, how far you go one way or the other. God in his word makes it really clear that he chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. And the Bible makes it really clear that we make a choice. And I hold those two in tension. One doesn't overshadow the other. Both are true. God has chosen it that way. I cannot understand it, but I believe it. God has initiated my salvation in eternity past and our eternal security is due to, our, to his eternal choice. And if he chose us, knowing all of our history from the day we were conceived to the day we die and after that. The eternal God looks at us and chooses us. He will never lose us if he chooses us. He knows the end from the beginning. That's a wonderful basis for knowing that we have assurance of eternal life. Secondly, divine origin is followed by divine provision through the sprinkling of his blood, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in mercy and grace, God did it. We don't deserve it, but he did it for us. Salvation comes from him and is based on what he has done. Not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, we read in Titus 3.5. And thirdly, in the first verse still, divine indwelling. On the second and third verse, where he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
So we have the Trinity involved. God the Father in eternity past choosing us. God the Son, the Lord Jesus, dying and shedding his blood for us. And then God the Holy Spirit dwelling within and regenerating us, making us new creatures, being born again by the Holy Spirit. The miracle of new birth, first of all, is that it is a recreation of our inner nature. God actually creates a new nature within us by his spirit. It's not just that we receive his spirit and the spirit of God is sort of uh, there, but nothing has happened to us. No, it says if anyone is in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. We have been regenerated, that rebirth. And when Jesus used the word new birth or born again, he was using an earthly illustration for a spiritual truth. The spiritual truth is that just as a little child is born, it's a new life. Didn't exist before. And suddenly, oh, not suddenly, over nine months, but then this child is born and it's a new life. And so we need, like Nicodemus was told, to be born again, to receive a new life, a new start, a, re, um, a recreation of our very nature, the inner disposition of a person who is born again, that inner disposition is changed and a desire to follow God, a desire to do right, a desire to love God and to love others is what is born in it. The life of God is in us, transforming us. We are, it's, uh, the Bible says we are born from above. We are born of God. We are born of the Spirit. It is God's doing. So not just the miracle of new birth, but also we see in this passage especially the permanency of the new birth. You can't be unborn again. Amen? You can't be unborn again. Once you're born again, you're born again. You're a new creation. You've received eternal life. You are transformed internally. You are looking forward to a living hope, a living hope. The Spirit of God, the transformed life, a living hope, born again to that through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Remember when Peter was told many times along with the other disciples and apostles that Jesus said he would die and that he would rise on the third day and they didn't, didn't even register, didn't compute. Then when Jesus did die, Peter lost all hope. So did the others. But thinking of Peter here who wrote these words, he lost all hope until he ran down to the tomb. And it was empty. And then Jesus appeared, risen from the dead. All his hopes that had been dashed had now been reignited. Just like the children's ministry is going to be reignited next week. But it's going to be reignited. Uh, the, the, the whole future changed with Peter when he realized that Jesus was risen from the dead. All his hopes had been dashed, but now they've been made alive again, but more so. We will live again in eternity because he lives again. 
There's an indissoluble link between new birth in us today and our future salvation. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And, and a couple of other verses to, to back that up where it says in Romans 5.5, 5, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Hope does not disappoint us. The Holy Spirit is being poured into our hearts. One, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in you, obviously by his spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Ephesians 1.14. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So the permanency of new birth. So God is the source of all that. We All we did is receive by faith. We reached out and he took hold of us and we're his. Secondly, we find that God is the security of our inheritance. He's not just the source. He's the security. It goes on to say that we've been born again to a living hope to an inheritance. The living hope is the inheritance. He's going on in his explanation of this in the letter that he's writing. He's saying to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, guarded in heaven for you. God is the security of our inheritance. Um, inheritance in the Bible, in the New Testament, speaks of our, our future salvation. After we die or after Christ returns, our future eternal salvation is what he's talking about when he's talking about our inheritance. And Jesus died to bequeath that inheritance to us. Um, how many of you have um, known that somebody, when they pass, are going to give you something as, as part of an inheritance. Um, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? And, and you don't wish them to die, but you know that when that happens, you're going to receive something that will help you in this life. Um, you don't earn the inheritance. It's just somebody out of their own love and, and, and familiar family ties decides to give you an inheritance. We had a friend, a friend, yeah, a person we knew um, who and his wife believed that, that a letter that came from Nigeria saying that one of their long-lost relatives in England had left them a, a, a two or three million pounds and that they had to come to England to pick it up. So they went there and, and of course, there was nothing there. And then they found that they said, oh, no, we couldn't give it to you in England. You have to go to, to Indonesia and pick it up there because uh, of the whatever. And they, they, they could not believe that this was a lie um, until finally they realised it was all a hoax. And this was at the beginning of when a lot of that happened. And nowadays, anyone that gets anything like that in the mail or email uh, just rejects it. But back then it was very real. They thought they were coming into an inheritance. Um, but we know that we have an inheritance with God because God says that your inheritance 
is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and it will never perish, spoil or fade. It's guarded in heaven for you. Not perish, it will not deteriorate. Remember Jesus' resurrection body? And when we get our resurrection body, it's incorruptible. Sown in corruption, raised incorruptible. It will never perish. And our whole eternal future will never perish. It's, it won't deteriorate. It's immortal, untouched by death. Secondly, it will not spoil. It not, the word means polluted or stained or defiled. There'll be no impurity. It will be, remain pure. It will, God, God's holiness won't be um, affected by any impurity in us that we're going to live in purity for the rest of our eternal existence. And our future inheritance will not fade. And the word there is, is a word that's used of a fading flower. You know, Mug loves flowers, but once they've gone like that, they're thrown in the garbage. Um, time um, will eventually cause every flower to, to, to wither. So there'll be no decay, there'll be no loss of glory, there'll be nothing like that, that we will be pristine from the day we enter into eternity to the day there's no final day. It's for eternity, forever after that. So he says, your, your future salvation is guarded by God, it will never perish, spoil or fade. It's guarded in heaven for you, kept in heaven for you. And the word kept there is the word that is used of a watchful eye. God is watching over your inheritance. He's keeping an eye on it. That's the word that Peter used. Guarded in heaven or kept in heaven for you. And thirdly, we find that God is not only the source of our salvation, he's not only the security of our salvation, he is actually our shield. Our lives until that time that we enter into eternity, our lives are guarded by God. That's what he goes on to say. Who are shielded by faith? Now, that word shielded is different from the one where he talked about our salvation being kept or guarded. Here it's a different word. It's a word that's a military word, and it has the idea of troops or a couple of soldiers who are on sentry duty and, and they are guarding something very precious. And if any enemy comes to try and get it, they will protect it. And God is the guard of our eternal inheritance. No, he is the guard of us. That's what it says. And you also will be guarded by faith. Let me read it to you. Hang on. And uh, we who receive this inheritance, who, are, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation uh, that uh, is ready to be revealed at the last time. We are putting our hands up and God is holding our hand and he is guarding us. He's keeping us. The Bible talks about the keeping power of Christ and of God in our lives, that he will keep us to the end. We, our faith may falter. There may be times when we have doubts. If you don't have doubts, 
I wonder whether your faith is real. Because you're going to have doubts. But our faith will not fail. Some may even turn to making a lot of money and living the life they want to live, but hold on to their faith and not throw away their faith. And their faith may become um, very shallow. But even the man who in 1 Corinthians lived with his mother, uh, his, his father's wife, that's right, his so stepmother. And, and Paul says, you know, you've got to deal with this guy that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. God is our shield. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, this very man who wrote these words, but I have prayed for you when he said that you're going, your faith's going to be challenged and um, you're going to deny me three times, but I have prayed for you. <laughs> I am guarding you. Not just your salvation, but you, not just your inheritance, but you. You've put your hand up. I've taken hold of it. You're mine. Shielded through faith. So our faith is involved in this. It just doesn't happen without faith. Faith is our means of receiving what God gives us freely. There's no value to faith. It's the value of what faith brings. It's, it's receiving when uh, a gift is given to you and to a salvation uh, which is ready to be revealed in the last time. One day the universe will be born again, but he's begun now with you and I. There's a big but here. What about those whose faith is not unshakable? What about those who turn from their faith? What about those who trust and believe or who, who make a profession of faith and put their faith in Jesus? They go along for a while and then they crash out and you never see them again and they turn from their faith altogether. That's why I, I have met so many in my ministry and Mark and I in our ministry and work and service for the Lord who have loved ones or who themselves have turned away from the faith. And it's an increasing problem. And when people knew that I was writing this book, Exit, um, which is the uh, book that um, has just been published, it is a book... That, that called for someone to write, and I know that others have written books, but I really felt the burden to write this book because it's such a big challenge to the church today. And as I, people knew I was writing, they said, that book is needed, that book is needed. So often people have said that to me. See, the central question is this, is the faith that people turn from true faith? Because we're talking about unshakable faith. Well, what about those who do shake? How can a person know that their faith is the kind of faith that brings salvation? 
is perhaps another question we could ask. The Bible teaches that it's possible to have faith that is not saving faith. Faith without works is dead. It's not alive. It's not real. It's not the kind of faith that saves. Because he goes on to say that even the demons believe and they tremble. They have a kind of faith, but it's not saving faith. The Bible says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize that this, uh, uh, this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. He's writing to a bunch of Christians in Corinth saying, check whether your faith is real. The evidence will be Christ in you and the transformed life. So faith is put to the test. God knows the secrets of the heart, we read in Psalm 44. He knows whether a person has genuine faith or not. We can be misled and misguided and think we do when we don't. So God allows us to be tested. As we read in this very passage, that the genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold, can be proven to be real or counterfeit. Ever been gold panning? Pick up what you think is a nugget and it fills gold? How do you tell the difference? Well, for a novice like me, I wouldn't be able to look at it and see, but put it in the fire. You'll soon see whether it's genuine gold or not. The scariest thing I've ever done was bungee jumping. And it was in New Zealand, we had a team outreach, we went down the South Island and we went to Arrowtown, which is just near Queenstown, and it's this huge drop from the bridge way, way, way down there. And you look at it from the side and you think, oh yeah, I could do that. And you walk up and they, they wrap this bit of rope around your legs. And you're looking and you think, mm, I hope it doesn't slip off. And then you look out and you look down and you're like, oh no. And you've got to jump. And you, it's the scariest thing I've ever done. And our daughter Rebecca was with us at the time in the, on the team. And she did it too. She was going to jump backwards so you don't see. And it's even scarier. But she couldn't handle it. So she spent about 10 minutes waiting, trying to get the courage to jump. And um, I took about as long as well. But you're trusting the rope. You're trusting the person who tied the knot, that they uh, know what they're doing and that, that it won't just slip and you'll end up smashed into the, the water below. You have to trust. Our faith is tested by fire. The fire for these people is... Suffering. They had to decide whether their faith was real or not, they, whether they'd turn from their faith because of the persecution that they were facing or whether they would remain strong and in their faith despite the persecution. That's what fire talks about. So faith is tested by fire, but faith is also tested by fruit. Jesus spoke about the seed and the sower 
uh, and the soils in Luke 8 where he talked, gave that parable. And the seed is God's word and, and it brings a variety of results in different soils. You know, the shallow soil, the rocky soil and, and uh, so on, off the path and, and so on. But only the good soil produced fruit. And the good soil, Jesus said when he interpreted this parable, he said, those with a noble and good heart or inner attitude of the heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Jesus said, God's word will go out and there'll be people who respond to it. Some like that seed that produces and springs up really quick. But the moment the heat of the sun, suffering and persecution comes, it withers and dies. Another will go in shallow soil, uh, and soil where, where um, weeds grow up with it, and they'll choke it. The love of money and pleasure and other things will kill that. But there's some that fall in good soil and it produces fruit. Some a little, some a lot, but always produces fruit. So, so faith is tested by fruit. You can't be unborn again. You can't be unjustified. Once you're justified, declared righteous before God, you're declared righteous. But you can backslide. You can turn away and live your own life. And you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ at the end and give account of your life. But you'll never lose your sonship, daughtership. You see, when you become a child of God, you enter his family. Now, like Megan and Prince Harry, <laughs> Prince Harry is still a member of the royal household. He's still a member of the family. But he's lost all his rights and privileges and his title as his royal highness has gone down the tube because he decided to live an independent life, but he will never lose his family connection. Now, Prince Andrew, alleged done terrible things, also has lost his privileges for a different reason. But he's still a son of the queen. And we can get lost and get messed up with running after money and other things and, and living lives that are not pleasing to God. But when you're a child of God, you will never lose that sonship, that daughtership, if you like, that being a member of the family of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are the source and the security of our salvation. We thank you and pray that we'll live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.